Bibles with me to Isaiah chapter 61. And then I love when preachers and says, also Luke chapter 2. Put your finger there in Luke chapter 2. And I'm going to read Isaiah 61, 1 through 3. It says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison doors that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort those who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them, and I love this, this exchange. It's a beautiful exchange. To give them beauty for ashes. That means you can have ashes, but when you come into proximity with the presence of God, you can leave with beauty. Oil of joy for mourning. I love this one because I love the praise, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they not that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Here we find Isaiah prophesying Jesus. Not only is Isaiah speaking to the current situations in Israel and the issues with King Ahaz, he is also he's giving a word that's for right now and a word that's for the future. That yes, that word that Isaiah is giving, he's a prophet. He, it is a present help in a time of danger, but it's also for a future hope. And I love this next passage of scripture in Luke because this Luke is the fulfillment of the word that Isaiah gave in Isaiah 61. And also, uh, I believe in Isaiah uh, chapter 9, when he said, For unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. And you will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And now fast forwarding 700 years, we find Luke saying this. It's the fulfillment of the prophet. It says Luke 2, 8 through 13, the night. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them and the radiance of the Lord surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them. Do not be afraid. He says, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. Do you see that? Do you see them moving from fear to faith? Do you see them moving from bad news, what they thought was bad news to good news? Do you see the transition there that uh, uh, they're in the presence of Jesus, but also confronted with the presence of fear? That's what stuck out to me when I read this scripture. It says they were terrified, but the angel understood. Do not be afraid. I will bring you good news to, that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Now look at verse 13. Suddenly the angel of uh, uh, was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God, saying glory to God in the highest and peace on on earth to those whom God has pleased. What an amazing passage of scripture that here's Isaiah 700 years before prophesying that this Jesus is going to come and his job, he's going to get right in the middle of beauty and ashes. He's going to stand in between what comfort and mourning. He's going to insert himself right in between the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Union Church, Columbia, Baltimore Online. I want to preach to you today from the topic, the truth of two realities. The truth of two realities. Father, I pray, God, that you speak today. That I get out of the way, God. Have your way with someone right online right now. And maybe they're desperate. Maybe they're in a position, God, where they're confronted this Christmas season with the truth of two realities. Father, I pray that you would do a mighty work today in this service and beyond. In Jesus' name. And everybody said a good good amen.
the truth of two realities. When the Holy Spirit woke me up this morning, I began to go through the book of Luke and look at all the characters. Look at all the characters that were benefactors of Isaiah's scripture in 61 that says when Jesus comes, he's going to get in the middle of mourning and comfort. He's going to get in the middle of, of joy and mourning. He's going to get in the middle of, of the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Hey, guess what? He's going to be the key to unlock the prisoners who are captive. When I see those two things, when I think about joy and mourning, those are two very real realities. That oftentimes Christians and people of faith don't want to admit Man, I'm, I'm blessed, but I'm still a little broken. Maybe you've been praying for something and, and, and God has given it to you. And you got a miracle in one hand, but you're miserable on the other hand. The truth of two realities. Has anybody ever gotten a new job and you're like, man, I, I got this job that I prayed for, but you're so uncertain because you've been between a prayer and a promise for so long that you almost, you don't really walk in the power and the confidence of the new job because you're just looking for something to happen to jack it up because that's just happened and been the resume of your life. When you look all throughout these scriptures, of the birth of Jesus Christ, you see all of these characters that are confronted by the truth of two realities. Zachariah. Zachariah is the husband of Elizabeth. He would be the father of John. John would baptize Jesus. And they were old. Elizabeth and Zachariah were old. And everyone knew her as barren. And the angel of the Lord comes to Zachariah and says, you're going to have a baby. Your wife is going to have a baby. And here's Zechariah. He's received a miracle, but he's been so used to being barren that he's got a miracle, but he's mute. He can't say anything. You ever been in a season when, when you're going through something and, and something happens and people say, why are you still sad? Because <laughs> I'm not used to breakthrough. I don't know how to carry joy. I am, am I in between the truth of two realities. How about Elizabeth? Elizabeth was too old. Everyone knew her as barren. But guess what? Now she's expecting but inexperienced. She's confronted with the truth of two realities. She's blessed on the inside, but everyone still sees her as barren on the outside. And she's trying to navigate the emotions of these two things that are very real, that church people aren't supposed to acknowledge, that even though I have faith, sometimes it's in competition with fear. Even though I'm destined, sometimes it's in competition with discouragement. Am I all by myself or, or do I have some real Christians who are saying, man, sometimes life is great and sometimes life just sucks. I kind of feel like every time I take two steps forward, something else happened that takes two steps 
back. I got my family together, but my finances are jacked up. Come on, somebody. I got my finances together, but now there's tension in my marriage, and I've got these. I'm trying to navigate these realities, these two realities. I come to church, and everyone asks me how I'm doing, and I say, man, I'm blessed, but really I'm stressed, but really I'm fearful, but really I got some discouragement and some doubt. God is still good. He is still a healer, but there are some areas that he has not touched yet, or I have not accepted yet, and I'm trying to manage the truth of two things that are real. Mary, this girl, theologians say she's about 14 years old. This angel Gabriel shows up in her rooms and says, greetings. What? How'd you get in? You are highly favored, highly favored, but fear is at a premium. There's two realities, I'm telling you. Then Joseph, uh, uh, her, her boyfriend, she's engaged, and, and, and the angel comes to him and says, listen, listen, God has done something miraculous in Mary, and she is pregnant and filled with the Holy Spirit. It's from God. Joseph's like, nah, homie. I can't rock with that. I'm not sure. I'm uncertain. God, I believe you, but can you heal that? Can you? Has, has, has you ever received a miracle, but you're not sure how to walk in it because you've been so used to being dysfunctional that it's hard to be destined because the two realities are at war. I've got faith, but I've got fear working at the same time. And I look at the characters of the innkeeper. Come on, Mary and Joseph got to go 70 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem. They're, they're, they're tired. They're worn out. She's carrying Jesus and the innkeeper has no vacancy. Have you ever been in proximity with victory, but you're not sure you have the capacity to even come on somebody to even let God. So have you ever been in a season where I don't know if I can pray one more time? I've been so disappointed. I don't. Some of you came to church today. You're watching online today and you says, God, I'm going to give you one more chance because I cannot manage the truth that you're good. But I, it's just a hard time receiving it. Then the shepherds. We land on the shepherds. They're outcasts. They are men of no significance. They're dirty. But yet they're in the presence of Jesus. Now, if you were dirty, if you were outcast and you were invited to be at the fulfillment of a prophecy that's been in labor for 700 years, wouldn't you be like, man, look what the Lord has done. We made it. Come on, so we're moving on up. <laughs> but yet their first response is fear. They're grateful, but they're fearful. This is the truth of two realities. You see, this prophetic word from Isaiah, Isaiah's a prophet. He's there to declare God's word. But that prophetic word, it deals with both realities. Oh. You see, when he, he speaks it, Israel is at a point where they need God to move. They have been so discouraged and so disappointed and keep falling into sin. And here's Isaiah saying, 
there's a savior. He's going to give beauty for ashes. And they're like, when? He says, now. What? Prophetic words are for now and later. You know, my wife loves candy. You know what her favorite candy is? Sweet tarts and now laters. She, she, she loves and has a palate for the sour and the sweet. Isn't it times when you, which one comes first? Man, I love when the sweet's first. I don't want to know. I don't want to start out sour. Come on, somebody. But man, sometimes I feel like life is just when it's starting to get sweet. The sour kicks in, man. The truth of two realities. This is exactly where Irene and I were in 2015. And I've told our story, but I've never told this part of our story. We've been married for 22 years. It's been about the best six years ever. Because in 2015, it's Christmas time. Uh, this is supposed to be the time of opening gifts. This is supposed to be the time of, of, of joy to the world. We're supposed to be kissing under some mistletoe. Come on, somebody. Peace on earth. But Irene is in rehab and I'm in counseling. Yeah, pastor. Pastor's wife. Pastor. Pastor the church together. We were dysfunctional. There were two realities going on. Shh. So I said, God, why are you using me? How come people are coming to the altar and marriages are getting healed, but yet mine is broken? Why can't I lead people in worship, but I can't even lead my family? Irene had been in a rehab for 40 days. Missed Thanksgiving. I was trying to manage. No one in, in our church knew what was going on. Just a few people. And I was, I, 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 but I, I didn't know how to balance these two realities. And here she's coming home on Christmas Eve. Is this going to be a gift? Is this going to work? We have been in pain for so long. I'll never forget pulling up to the airport with my heart wanting to believe, wanting to have expectation, wanting to believe that God had fixed it. But I had so many hurts and so many disappointments. I was stuck in between two realities. Has anybody been ever been stuck right in the middle between a prayer and a promise, between being blessed and between being broken, between faith and fear? I, uh, on Sundays, I feel faith, but Monday, I feel fear. I'm between two things. I know that God is good, but I'm disappointed. I'm discouraged. I've got fear. I've got some doubt. I, I praise God, but I look over my shoulder. I, I raise my hands, but I wonder if someone's still going to try to fight me. I've snatched myself out of hell but yet I'm not yet in heaven and I'm between two realities I'm emotional huh. anybody ever been emotional come on y'all that's where slow jams came from in the 90s when slow jams was good I get real weak in the night. Like, like I'm emotional I'm, tri I'm tripping. 
I'm I'm, I'm confused. I'm uh, I'm in doubt. I believe I take notes. I I, I listen to the sermons. I, I, I go online. I got crazy faith, but I'm crazy. Any of y'all got a crazy? Uh-huh. And, and, and come on, come on, come on, Columbia. I know Baltimore County, y'all got some crazy. I'm a little crazy. I, 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 I awfulize. I, I, I trip. I say, uh, uh, I leave church saying, speak those things that be not as if they were. I try to push myself, but all I say is, shoulda, coulda, woulda. I stay in regret. I stay in fear. I, I'm in church, but I got scars. I got wounds that aren't all the way healed yet. I'm, in, I'm a preacher with two realities. I'm on staff. With two realities. I'm leading a family. If they only knew how insecure I really am. See, I've come to understand that our emotions, they're God-given. <laughs> you mean to tell me I can sing great is thy faithfulness? And, and I'm allowed to acknowledge my fear? What? Uh, Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans he has for me, declares the Lord, plans for a hope and a future, plans not to harm me, but, I, but I'm scared. Yeah. What? I, I'm confident. Come on, y'all. I got the Louis. I got the red bottoms. I got the outfits. But if, if only anyone knew how insecure I really am under all of this. I, I'm between. I wear two realities. Wow. Wow. Anxiety. Fear. Doubt, depression, shame, sadness, discouragement. You see, it, what I've learned in counseling, what I've learned by being counseled by the Holy Spirit is that when I acknowledge what's going on, you know what I've been really good at lately? I'm not good at a lot, is acknowledging my two realities. Oh, I feel anxiety. I feel fear. Where is, what's coming up for me? Is that my past? Is that uh, undealt with trauma? Is that family of origin issues? Is that, is that because I haven't, I've been betrayed? And, and, and is that because uh, uh, peace for the sake of peace ain't peace? Me and my wife ain't arguing anymore, but I'm resentful. Uh, what's going on? You see, anxiety could indicate that I have a sense of uncertainty and I'm going to miss out or a loss of control. Fear could indicate that I'm not safe and something has robbed my security in God. Doubt could indicate uh, that my trust has been violated by someone or something. Uh, depression could indicate that I have lost hope and I feel helpless. Shame could indicate that I have not forgiven myself, that God has deceived a forgetfulness that he throws all of my sin into but I keep putting on my scuba gear and digging it up and bringing it up and saying God are you sure that grace is good enough for this sadness could indicate that I have not allowed myself to grieve discouragement could indicate that I've got a life of shoulda coulda woulda you know what I've learned that emotions are intuitive indicators that it's time to do something about it. Oh my God. Oh my God. Emotions. Come on, somebody. Anybody a little emotional in Columbia? Could it be that you shouldn't reason that emotional way? You should trace it back to find out where do I need to go and carry Jesus?
deliverance to? Where do I need to go and make deliverance to? What is the area that I have hidden that is producing this emotion? Emotions are indicators that it's time to do something about it, not cover it up, not reason it away, not, 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 I can't tell nobody how I feel. Matter of fact, right now, if you are a little emotional with some anxiety and some sadness where I was in 2015, it wasn't, I shouldn't have reasoned it away. It was time to do something about it. I came all the way from Annapolis, Maryland to tell you, you've been crying too long you've been sad and discouraged too long you've been in fear too long is there a church is there a Christian is there a Bible believe in blood bought Christian that says enough is enough I am breaking the cycle of emotional pain and my family I'm breaking it come on somebody off my kids and if you won't praise God for yourself and say enough is enough do it for your seed come on somebody right now I cancel the assignment of the devil over your house and I plead the blood of Jesus and I say enough is enough this stops with me this anxiety stops with me this depression stops with me enough is enough You weren't supposed to check your fight at the door when you got saved. The Bible says that the kingdom of God suffered violent and the violent taken back force. We got too many punk Christians. Come on somebody that's just tiptoeing through life saying oh my God, woe is me. How about somebody say not woe is me, it stops with me. I'm getting my joy back. I'm getting my peace back. I'm getting delivered. I'm getting free. Enough. It's enough. Y'all sit down. I got to finish. I got to finish. It's time to do something about it. Little fear, do something about it. Uh, stop taking it and take it back. Pastor, huh? what did you do? How did you pull yourself out? Well, I have to pull myself out continually. I was in a sunken place this week. I called Pastor Stephen yesterday. I was like, hey, man, I hate life right now. It's like the season is trying to remind me of not what God did, but how I felt. And I woke up at 4.30 and I decided that the enemy is under my feet. And I decided and I came to tell you and to, the Bible says that we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. So I came to testify that if you do something about it, you got to do something about it this year. You got to do something about it next year. You got to do something about it tomorrow. If he raises his head up again, I came to tell you I'm doing something about it. I think Jacob said it this way. I won't let go until you bless me. Uh-huh. I triple dog dare you. Union Church. 
to get an attitude and say, I ain't leaving today unless my name is changed. I ain't leaving today unless I'm blessed. I ain't leaving today unless I'm favored. I ain't leaving today. Matter of fact, some of y'all came in ashy. We ain't got lotion, but we got the anointing. And I feel like right now that somebody is about to jump into the river of God and get free. Matter of fact, can every campus online stand up on your feet and give God a 30 second praise break and say this year, I'm not playing. I'm not waiting till January. I'm going to get my blessing right Number one, number one, my prayer will be my persistence. Somebody declare, say, my prayer will be my persistence. Say, my prayer will be my persistence. Say, I'm going to stop complaining and start praying. I'm going to stop tripping and start praying. I'm going to stop being discouraged and start praying. Come on, somebody. If you ain't on your feet, stay on your knees. I'm telling you right now, God is looking for a generation of God-fearing people that know how to shut themselves up in a prayer closet and say, I'm not coming out unless this thing changes. Let me tell you what happens when you pray. The prayer of a righteous man availeth much. We got to move from ratchetness to righteousness. And that only happens in a prayer closet. That only happens when you run out of oil. That only happens when you got more month than you got money. It's not supposed to drive you to complain. It's supposed to drive you to pray. Somebody needs to learn how to hold on to the horns of the altar and prophesy and say, my children will be blessed. Diabetes has to cease. This praise. Prayer will be my persistence. Persistence, Pastor Zai, is what moves me from emotion back to devotion. I'm trying to tell you, if you are emotional, do your devotionals. But I've got to be persistent. I've got to learn how to keep praying when I'm tempted. I got to learn how to keep praying when I'm tripping. I got to learn how to keep praying when I'm cussing. I got to like, y'all don't hear what I'm saying. I got to learn how to keep praying when I can't see it. I can't see it, but I'm believing for it. I can't touch it, but I'm touching the hem of his garment. Y'all don't hear. I'm not healed. Come on, somebody. But I'm holding on to the horns of the altar. Keep praying. 
Can I ask you a question? What has stolen your desire to pray? Uh, if I'm honest, in 2015, I did more complaining, more awfulizing than I did praying. We can't allow hurt to steal our pain and keep us out of proximity with the healer. God hasn't forgotten you. You forgot where the sweet spot of his presence is. God's saying you got to go back to what you used to do. Oh, I believe that God is raising up a generation of people that know how to intercede. I'm telling you right now, I got into a place in 2015 where I was so angry. I'm going to be honest, I didn't know what to pray. But then I came across a scripture in Romans that said when I am weak, he is strong. That said that when I don't know what to pray, that the Holy Spirit will make intercession for me. That word intercession means intervene. That word intervene that says he will get right in the middle of two realities and pull me out of what was to what should be. I'm here to tell you that God is looking for some intercessors. God raised up a generation of intercessors. God raised up a generation of prophetic people. God raised up a generation of worshipers. There was this lady in 1 Samuel that knew how to pray. Her name was Hannah. And she was barren. And the Bible says that year after year, Hannah would go to the temple to pray, empty-handed. Watch this now. But something changed one year. Y'all can have your seat. I got finished. I got finished. Y'all not going to let me finish? Watch this now. First Samuel 1.10, Hannah was with deep anguish. Crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. This prayer was different, right? And she made this vow. O Lord of heaven's armies, if you would look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you. He will be yours for his entire lifetime. Y'all, I want to tell you a little secret. In 2015, I was in counseling while Irene was at rehab. And my counselor told me all. She said, Jimmy, I am tired of hearing you complain. Aren't you a pastor? I was, I said, I'm paying you $250 an hour. You're going to respect me. She said, I said, I'm done. I want a divorce. And she said, what? She said, if you leave now, the new Irene that comes home won't get a chance to heal the wounds that the old Irene created. I need you to stop talking about the old Irene and start praying 
that the new Irene, that Christmas Eve, that woman who left insecure, who left addicted to alcohol, who left with shame, she walked in that airport like she owned the place. And my kids ran over to her and they hugged her and I was crying in the car and I said, look what the Lord has done. Can I tell you that what I said, I said, God, if you change my wife, I promise you, if you change my marriage, if you change my family, I promise you, we will give our family back to you and we'll spend the rest of our lives healing marriages. That's the same thing that Hannah did year after year. Hannah prayed because she didn't have a son, but that year she prayed that God would use the son that she would have. I came to tell you, Union Church, that if you change your reason, God will shift your season. It is not about you. It is about what God wants to do through you. Keep praying. Come on, touch three people. Say, keep praying. Keep praying. Come on, online. Tap in the chat. Keep praying. Come on, Columbia. Say, I got to keep. I got to keep praying. I got to keep praying. Can y'all say this with me? Say, I won't allow resistance to steal my persistence. Say it again. Say, I won't allow resistance to steal my persistence. Come on, say it as many times as you can. I won't allow the resistance to rob my persistence of prayer. Number two, prayer will be my persistence. I love this next one. His promise will be my perspective. (laughs) His promise. Not the reality of the pain, but the reality of his promise I'm going to rise above how I feel to see my future. I'm going to ask God for a vision of what could be. Y'all don't hear what I'm saying right now. I'm going to get a promise. Some of you, you put your promise down. Mm-hmm. Where is your promise? You can, can, can I just encourage you right here? Come on, camera, zoom in, zoom in on me right here. I want to encourage you right here. Ready? Do not allow man's disappointments to rob you of faith in God. God did not disappoint you. Man did. And God has been there. There are traces and evidence that he never left you nor forsake you. You just couldn't see him and couldn't feel him because you were talking to him. He, he says, I got a promise. You know what I've come to find out? That the promises of God are yes and amen. Isaiah 55 says this. His word will not return unto me empty. What God said is going to happen. What God spoke. See, see, see what you don't realize? There are some generational promises 
that he hasn't said to you that he said to your grandmama and your great grandmama but if you get into your prayer closet and stay persistent you get to have what was promised to them I don't want God's promise to skip over me to the next generation I don't want to walk in the wilderness that's supposed to take a 40 day journey and 40 years because I would rather have a guaranteed meal as a slave and go back than to seek God for his promise every day. God is looking for some people that says, I got a promise. God is looking for some people that says with that promise, no weapon that is formed against me is going to prosper. You see, when you got a promise, you got confidence. His promise will be my perspective. Huh. I got home from counseling. Before Irene came home, Pastor Zai, and one of our pastor friends called me. He said, hey man, how you doing? I said, hey, if I get divorced, will you hire me? Because you know, a bad marriage is kind of an occupational hazard for a pastor. He said, what are you talking about? He said, Jimmy, all I hear you do is complain. I'm telling you a real story. He said, maybe you'll never have the wife you want until you learn to love the wife you have. What he's saying is speak a promise on what you already got. <laughs> you think new is the answer? No, that's hard. Choose your heart. I would rather work on this than start over again. Come on, somebody. I want to know, is there somebody with a promise? Has God promised? And if you don't know what your personal promise is, let me give you a scriptural promise. You ready? You are the head and not the tail. You are above and not beneath. You are first and not last. Greater is he, John, that is in you than he that is in the world. Your best is yet to come. God is not through with you yet. Come on, somebody. The promises of God are yes and amen. Hannah went year after year. Year, I tell you to pray day after day. Hour after hour. Minute after minute. You got a promise. Yeah. And because I have a promise, number three. Y'all ready? I need my worship team. My, y'all didn't hear me. My prayer will be my persistence. Say that. Come on, Columbia. My prayer will be my persistence. My promise will be my perspective. Now everybody stand up. Come on, come on, stand up for this last one. My praise will be my proof. Y'all don't hear what I'm saying. Some of y'all need to stretch because we about to jump. We about to run. I'm telling you right now, I want to tell you that praise is not an indication that he's already done it. Praise is proof that he's going to do it. And praise is faith in action. And when you praise God, when you don't have it, it proves to God that you believe, that you trust him. How do I know? 
told the shepherds back to Christmas. They are standing in front of the promise. Emmanuel. Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Shama. Jehovah Tiskanu. Omnipresent, omniscient, Yahweh in a manger. What happens if it don't show up the way you thought it was going to show up? Some of you are looking for his hand. You missed his face. Y'all didn't hear me. So the shepherds, pastors, I listen. I mean, check this out. Because this was me. The shepherds, the dirty people, the people not qualified, the broken people, the people who went to the club, the people who backed it up, the people who still fight and curse. They're in front of the fulfillment of a prophecy 700 years ago. And they're the first ones on the scene. What? Their first response was fear. Why? Hindsight bias. We know because we got a Bible. This is the man who turned water into wine. This is the man who healed blinded eyes. This is the man who's going to redefine death, hang on a cross, come back, resurrect. This is the man. Y'all don't hear what I'm saying. We know that. They didn't know that. All they saw is a promise as an infant. He hasn't walked on water because he can't walk. He hasn't stood up and told you to speak to the wind and the mountain and it can't be moved. He can't talk yet. He's an infant. What do you do and what is your response when your promise is in its infancy stage? (laughs) You know what they did? Something transitioned them from fear to faith. They said if it's just a seed, it's going to grow into something powerful. So I'm going to praise God for the seed when I ain't got the fruit. So the Bible says that they begin to praise. And I believe that their praise was their proof that they were no longer in the middle of two realities. Y'all don't hear what I'm saying. They moved from fear to faith. You want to move from fear to faith? You want to move from doubt to destiny? You want to move from pain to purpose? Come on, Columbia. Come on, PWI. Come on, online. Come on, Baltimore County. You got to put a praise on the promise. The Bible says that God inhabits the praises of his people. That means when you praise, your seed grows. When you praise, what you put in the ground, it begins to germinate. Praise moves you from desperation to declaration to revelation to habitation. I dare 
thousand people to take about a 30 second praise break and say, devil, what you meant for bad, God is turning around for your good. If you got a praise, you ain't done yet. You can't quit while you're clapping. You can't be discouraged while you're dancing. You can't be a victim when you have a language of victory. Can anybody get God a show up praise? I say give him a praise. I say give him a praise. If you don't have I dare you to just run in place. I dare you to jump. I dare you to clap. I dare you to shout. Enough is enough. What the enemy meant for bad, God is going to use for your good. It ain't over. Everybody quiet. Listen. I don't know what's going on at Baltimore County. I don't know what's going on at Columbia or online. All I can do is see in this church that there will be more people at a football game celebrating a man who scores a touchdown than the church will celebrate a man who redefined death. I want to know now, can the church Give God a shameless praise, a praise that says to the level that the devil has attacked you, I'm going to give him back double his praise.
And let me ask you something. Pastor Brian's going to come in just a second. But if you can't praise God for what he's going to do, you probably can find some evidence and some proof that somebody else should have died in a car accident you came out without a scratch. From the hell you've been through, you shouldn't even be on your right mind. If you still got hands to raise, you'll raise them. If you still got a voice to shout, you'll shout. Mandela, you know what I have found? I have found that praise is a current confession from a past consideration. Praise is a current confession of a past consideration. I came to tell you, if he did it before, he's going to do it again. The truth of two realities. My prayer will be my persistence. My promise will be my perspective. And my prayer. 